0: Saying "low," Apple Music. This week on the Interview Series, it's not my first conversation with Billy Corgan. That took place back in Auckland, New Zealand in the summer of 1994 at the very first ever Big Day Out Festival. Smashing Pumpkins were on the bill and they just released their second album, Siamese Dream. This album, how do I even describe this? From the second I heard it, I knew that it was going to become an essential part of my soundtrack for life. I've listened to it so many times in so many different environments and so many different moods that it's kind of just a part of me. There really isn't a note on that record. I don't instinctively know where it sits and why it sits there, and yet it still continues to surprise me. As do Smashing Pumpkins, who, after decades of huge success and some turmoil have returned with one of their most ambitious projects yet. 33 songs over three different acts. This is a rock opera. People always throw that term around almost in a kind of dismissive way. If you're Billy Corgan, it's a challenge, and he's risen to it. It's a really stunning body of work. And the reason why we sat opposite each other for this particular pod, to talk about it, but also, like every conversation I've had with Billy Corgan since 1994, everything else in between you can't really stay on a straight line with someone this smart with this kind of opinion so why would we billy corgan our guest right here on the interview series sounding freaking great man sounding great in 2023 sounding great throughout looking great happy to have you in the studio as always my hero how
1: are you man we're back together again. we're back
0: together again <laughs> welcome back to los angeles after traveling
1: around yeah, you know, I come back to L.A. and it's like, a uh, city of dreams, you
0: know, city uh, <laughs> city of, city uh. of uh,
1: poor people living on the street in tents and exactly and you know. The waitress is hotter than anybody I've ever met in my life, but, you know, <laughs> is really bored get taking my order, and, you know, yeah, so, still, I love it here And I'm so still much.
0: depressed, right? I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, you can find depression in every crevice of the city if you go looking for it. Uh, but you had some dreams attached to the city at one point. You had a little spot. You made it home
1: for a minute. I lived here at different times, yeah. I do love L.A., I really do. Yeah. Um, I still remember coming out here in 89 when I was a nobody and kind of, I went up to, is it the Griffith Observatory? Yeah. I remember looking over the city. You had that moment. I'm going to come back and own this. place <laughs> so i i i did i have a picture from that day and you could see it in my eye i'm like i'm coming back here can
0: i tell you something man? Sure. i was staying at the uh, london hotel on the strip which has a beautiful view if you get the right room over the valley that heads towards the ocean and i did exactly the same thing i stood on that balcony i was like i'm gonna come back here and make this city feel you real did. small
1: you did as did you you did, did you're you. running you're running this joint as they used to say <laughs> no i'm doing
0: all right man i'm happy i'm uh, look as long as i get to, to to continue to to play music from the people that inspire me and connect and tell that story i'm so super stoked. We've done yeah. it for many years, man, and it was really cool hearing, you know, watching you walk in the room while we played that and knowing it was going out all over the world. Can you remember the first time that you ever heard your song on the radio?
1: Uh, well, you know, there was like you'd get played on college radio, but it didn't mean anything cuz there were only seven hipsters listening or something. <laughs> right, right. I do remember, I do have a very clear memory of um uh, driving down the road in Chicago and was listening to whatever station mm. and all of a sudden Cheer started. And it just sounded so massive. Oh, dude. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, dude. And it was like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Beautiful day, you know? Yeah. You're like, I'm here, man. I'm, this is awesome.
0: I mean, talk about a statement intro. I mean, it's
1: like 45 seconds
0: before, the, before Jimmy's even let off the leash. Yeah.
1: But the thing is, is um, you know, radio, I mean, it obviously has different forms these days, but it's still the same idea. Mm. There's something about the right song on mm. the right day mm. that just seals that moment. Something about the DJ and, you know what I mean? It's like, you're doing it, right? Mm. Part of what you do is, hey, trust me to turn you on to what's really happening. And there's something about the relationship between the DJ and the moment, calling the song and here it comes. (laughs) That stuff never gets
0: old. It never gets old. I was talking to, to to about this to someone yesterday, and and we were talking about why we still connect to radio, why I'm still connected to radio and haven't just gone full podcast mode, full playlist mode, you know, broken it down into its individual components. And I still um, like the unity of it all, right? The idea that we can have a sort of podcast in a radio environment with a song. And I said, the, the reason is that when I play a song, I, I, I've never known who's listening. Even when I was at the BBC and I had peak sort of appointment listening era time. Like now you just got to move with the people. Back then the people came to you, right? You had the records, you had the time slot. You got millions of people. I never knew one of them. I never could see anyone. And it was never the point. The point was the connection to the music and the feeling that I was somehow able, to your point,
1: yeah. share and experience. What's that? What, you're going to know who I'm talking about. Her name's Joe. She's like a famous UK DJ. Joe Wiley. Right. I was on the Joe Wiley show. Beautiful, you know. And, you know, she's such a sweetheart. And she said, I'll play anything you want. And I said, okay. And it was live on the air. I said, let's play Rain in the Summertime by The Alarm. (laughs) Beautiful. And she goes, kind of like, why that song? And even her staff assistant, they all kind of made a face, right? (laughs) I said, trust me. They played the song. They said their social media lit up and everybody wrote in. Yeah. What a great song. I don't know this song. How come I've never heard this song? Right? Yeah. That's, That's the it. power of That's that it. moment. And That's here it. you have somebody who knows their game. Yeah. And even she was like, "You want to play that song?" <laughs>
0: it's my favorite thing to do and amongst all the new music, he knows this to be able to say, "But have you heard Hum?" And everyone's like, who's Hum?
1: Oh, you know? don't get me started on Hum. I got my Hum issues.
0: <laughs> I know you do. I know <laughs> I you do. I got my Hum issues. I know you
1: do. From Champaign, Illinois, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was It was a... Uh, oh, good band, though. Good band, man. You No, know? no shade, but... but like, you know... A little, little too close to the bone here and there.
0: <laughs> Listen, I know what I'm
1: doing. <laughs> as, as, as Chino Moreno once said to me, I went to see... He had a, like a side band? Yeah, Team Sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Team Sleep. And I never met Chino in my life. Mm. And I go backstage to pay my respects to say hi. And as soon as I walk through the door, Chino looks at me and goes, recognize some of the riffs? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. Because right? I've had conversations with Chino about that. You know, he's a mate of mine now. I'm grateful to say that. And, and because they're one of my favorite bands. Ah, oh, Chino, time, man. So the real, it, deal. Man, real deal. Real and, deal. Um, and they just get, like yourselves, they just get better and better. The more they find themselves, the more they know themselves the further they're willing to travel yeah. each time. And um there's there's definitely moments when they I'm like, oh that's that's got a little billy to it. And he's just like, oh, come on, man, what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> he's wanting to tell you, you know? Yeah. yeah God bless. God bless. You seem to have um found a way to play along and as you've as you've kind of matured as an artist as well, like in the have beginning. I? have you <laughs> but you know we talk about chino and and we talk about bands and i know that you've been you've been you know supportive to a lot i see you in photos with other artists i never would have you were not that guy when i first met you, you were oh like, no you were so competitive everybody was like, the enemy everybody was in. yeah, including yeah. you yeah yeah although i killed you with kindness out you
1: did day. you did uh you always have a soft spot in my heart but uh no everybody was the enemy i i i'll take responsibility but mm. the business was set up that way yeah the beautiful thing about the way the business works is it really should be artists supporting other artists. Like, for example, we just did a World a Vampire in Australia, mm-hmm. Amel and the Sniffers, I don't know if you know that Love band. Love them.
0: Amazing band. Yeah.
1: Now, this is classic, right? I hear all the hype. She's the new Iggy Pop, she's the female this, she's the blah, 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 that. And I'm thinking, mm. I've heard this so mm. many times. Mm. It doesn't mean I was doubtful, but I, I, I'll, I'll wait till I see with my own eyes. I looked at her for 10 seconds on stage and I said, Holy mother of God. Yeah, yeah. This is a true rock star. Yeah, for sure. Great band. Yeah. And that's the power of rock and roll. So somebody asked me after I saw them play mm. uh, an interview, you know, kind of what do you think? And I said, see, this is the problem with comparisons. There's only one of her. Yeah. There's not, she's not anybody. That's why she's a star. There's a we'll call it one of one. Yeah. She's one of one. Yeah. I think that's what people really are after. But, you know, we live in this business where it's like, sounds like. Yeah, what we're doing is we're creating an identity for you and all you're trying to do is
0: find your own. (laughs) So it creates this conflict where you're like, I'm Billy Corgan and this is my band and we're outsiders and have been from day one. And we're all trying to get you on the inside, right? We're all like, ah, they sound like this, they do this, they're compared to this, they're compared to that. And... You know, you're right. I was the enemy. I, you know, I, I've been a part of that experience as a young broadcaster or whatever, trying to find my way to put context around things. I think context is a bit overrated when it comes to, you know, artists in some respects.
1: Well, it's it's difficult because, you know, we're all stretched for time. And when you're on a streaming service and, and you look and go, if you like this, yeah. you'll like this too. And I'll click on those sometimes and I'm oftentimes pleasantly surprised. So it's yeah. not the worst thing. But contextually, like when we started, people were like... I remember reading reviews. Uh, They're like a weird cross between the Black Crows. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be like, the Black what? Crows? <laughs> what?
0: Like, no, no shade to the Robinson Brothers, but, huh? The like, Pumpkins? He's yeah, like, the yeah. Black Crows? Yeah. yeah. Now, you were way more goth than that to me. Certainly on Gish, I felt like you were... You were like America's new sort of gothic alternative, super, yeah. you know, supergroup. I, like, I
1: love yeah. me some goth. You know? Yeah,
0: I mean, to me, there was more of a it was more of a direct connection. If we're going to play that game to Wayne Hussey,
1: than there was to Chris Robinson. I was just talking to Wayne Hussey about a week ago, actually. Mm. Wayne's a bit of a mate, and uh, I, you know, what I like about the world that's coming is is the gatekeepers are dead. And now people are figuring out who the real bands are. So you know, when I used to make the case for Echoing the Bunnymen or Sisters of Mercy or mm-hmm. Susie and the Banshees or whatever, people are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but every, of course they knew the band that was the imitation band that sold a lot more records. Yep. Now that that all that's dying now, so that's good because the real the real OG bands are going to get their due. Uh, hopefully, for some, it won't be too late. But at the at the end of the day, as long as they get their due, um, and you see it even out out right now with a Susie. Back touring after you know for the first time in ten years, she's yeah. getting her due. She's a super important pioneer. We were
0: talking about this earlier with Kate Bush. Yeah, same thing. I mean, this was, she had the biggest like year yeah. of her career. She
1: did. You know, it was just people. She was them. living her life, and everyone was just covering her music. Kate Bush, one of one. One exactly. of one. Susie, one of one. Ian Robert McCull- Smith, one of one. Ian McCulloch, one oh my of God. one. The best.
0: Whoa. The best. The day that he rolled up to me in Liverpool and was like, all right, man, I'm Ian McCulloch. I run this town. I was like, yeah, you do, bro. It's that, it's that note. You will wait until he finds a space emotionally that melody, I don't think, directed him to. I don't think that that was a, he, it was, that was all feeling. I mean, the whole thing is just feeling, isn't it? It's beautiful. Just beautiful.
1: I like in Bono's new book, he cops a little bit to the, the Bunnyman influence. Yes. Just a little bit. I liked that too. I enjoyed that book. I'm. I'm reading it now.
0: I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good, and I and I think you know that's a band with a road traveled. My days, I mean, and still and still traveling. And I thought you know he had so much ground to cover, and he accepted responsibility for some of the things that the world felt were misses. And but he did so in a way that was like, yeah. what is life lived if Don't not give away the way the book? Know?
1: I'm still reading it. I'm it. No, no, nothing important. specific. Nothing
0: specific. Can I tell you a good story? Just a little accountability. Do you want to hear a YouTube story? Yeah.
1: So um, I'm over in Dublin, circa 2000. And I go to visit Bono at his house. It's Averador. No, it's later, Later. Machina times. We stayed up all night and in the morning, for some reason, me and him are the only people up. And he says, I wanna play you something. We're gonna have to go out in the car because I don't wanna wake the house up. Mm. So it's me and him like freezing in the driveway. And he pops in and he's playing me what became the It's a Beautiful Day album. And it's kind of not all the way there, but sort of there. And he goes, tell me honestly what you think. I'm like, you really want me to give you my opinion? And I told him what I thought and they actually used my advice. <laughs> and he and he let me know later, like, hey, we used your advice. And I thought he was just being nice, yeah. you know? And then you heard it. So fast forward a couple of years, I'm somewhere and I run into Edge in a hotel. And we're waiting for an elevator. Oh, how are you doing, mate? Good to see you, dog. And he goes, hey, I got to tell you that advice you gave on that <laughs> wow. stuff really helped.
0: <laughs> That's, wow. Wow.
1: I was like, me? Are you? are you kidding me this is this is a, the biggest
0: insight though for people that that, that misunderstand you know this aspect of you too i think you just gave a really powerful observation which is not only do they deeply care about their music like deeply deeply care almost to the point i think of implosion um but they are also fantastic collaborative spirits like they are open to that and when bono asks you he's
1: Deep, he's genuinely serious. It ain't some kind of fake entertainment showbiz. No. He wants to win, right? yeah. which is something admirable in him, and um, he's not too shy to take an opinion.
0: Speaking of winning, you've, you've done a lot about you know I've done a lot
1: of losing too.
0: Yeah, but you know what though, man. Again, that's life lived, right? That's that's sure. that's a life lived, and and when you you know. You've also built a lot of your journey around the concept of competition. We talked about the competitive beginnings of the Pumpkins, that moment of Griffith, um, you know, leaning into wrestling, which is you know a more playful side of it, but still deeply competitive. And again, oh, yeah. uh, misunderstood in terms of how serious people take it. Right? People think it's pantomime; it's not as deeply serious. You know that you're invested, you know. And and you know, I wonder where the, what winning and and that side of your personality, how you, what is your relationship with that now at this point with the Pumpkins.
1: Uh, well, I think it starts with God. I think you have to understand that God gives you an opportunity in life. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in God, like I do, I think God wants everybody to win, not just people who've been touched on the head with some ability to sing a silly song, Mm -hmm. right? I think God wants everybody to win. So as I like to say a lot, live your dream. So when you talk about the competitive spirit, if God gave me talent, then, 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 the competitive spirit in that would be i i, I want to win the super bowl but not at the expense of someone else i want a fair fight and if i beat you i beat you mm. so you know you know me well enough to know that when it's all said and done i want the pumpkin standing on the top of the heap of our generation mm. and if that means i got to write 800 songs to do it i'll do it i ain't shy about that mm. i will go down always as saying kurt was the most talented guy of our generation kurt had so much talent it's like frightening yeah it was like a john lennon level of talent you're like how can you have all this talent yeah or prince right but kurt's not here you know sadly so you know so i looked around i was like all right well i could beat the rest of them for sure
0: you know it's not only kurt man it it it, it, sometimes i catch myself listening to my favorite albums from that era that's because you're getting
1: old oh dude getting A little gray in the beard. I'm embracing it, bro.
0: (laughs) I love it. I'm into it. I'm very happy where I stand. And I think that's important as you mature that you can find a way to let go of those sort of old, again, those old kind of like uh, sort of just tense, competitive things and it's like find a way to compete in the right way. But getting back to my point, like, I'll be like, oh my gosh, he's not here. She's not here. He's not here. Crazy, right? He's not here. I mean, I think about someone like you and Eddie and the Chili Peppers and some of the people who are still here. And, um, and I just feel like, wow, I mean, it, it shouldn't have ended like that. It shouldn't, no. it, it shouldn't have been just a few of you left standing.
1: Well, Gen X is definitely a lost generation, you know. And now we're creating a new lost generation with, like, you know, forcing kids and all sorts of weirdnesses. But yeah, it is what it is. Gen X was the lost generation because our parents were too busy doing cocaine or yoga. And, you know, we were in the basement watching Gillian's Island. With nobody i mean i mean the amount of crazy stuff we did because there was nobody there to tell us no
0: you know anyway um i get it because i was i'm I'm gen x and so love my folks but at the end of the day my imagination became my my guide for quite a formative part of my life yeah
1: I, i i still remain hopeful that gen x has a second act i think somebody said the other day and i don't know if it's true like gen x might be the only generation ever to not have a president
0: can you elaborate on that?
1: I think the idea is that no one who is Gen X it will actually become president.
0: Wow, that's true. No, that's totally accurate. I mean cuz I mean Biden currently is 83. I this is all you're all talking about the, the great generation. Boomers, like the yeah.
1: Boomer generation. Wow. So it, now that might change. Yeah. So when I'm president someday, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of frightening to think of. Actually, you probably got a better chance of being president than me. But I don't know, Billy. I don't know. They'll think... change the laws, you know. You, Since you're not from here, <laughs> yeah, just wherever, that you're, was wherever you're from,
0: local governance in Chicago. You know what I mean? Figure oh my God! Out. Don't
1: even get me started <laughs> on that. I think I think uh, uh, Illinois is up there with California for people fleeing the state. Um, chicago is obviously a big part It's a shame because i was born in chicago yeah and look we're here in los angeles los angeles is struggling with its own issues with with trying to assimilate let's call it the new america and i'm all for it like Mm. let's build a great new america but we're in that weird period that you know england went through it you know australia's had its struggles new zealand every every country has that moment where you got to you know whether you got to forgive the sins of the past yeah um anyway we don't need to go down all those rabbit holes
0: no, but where do you want to go it's a good question and i think i think that's what i've been saying to people as well it's just like you know we're in we're in deep struggle right now but uh, it's it's how we come out of it and 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 what kind of self awareness do we have really i think
1: i'm all for it if at the end of the day everybody gets an equal seat at the table that's right. that's that's my that's my easily stated position like everybody deserves a seat at the table like i said if you're a godly person you believe everybody has a divine right so um, and then your job as a person, is to figure out how you can contribute.
0: Is that like, is that, is that? Would you consider that a form of libertarianism? Is that basically what you're kind of referring to?
1: Um, it doesn't feel like Roman Catholicism, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> it's probably more pagan. Honestly, I'm more of a pagan. That's I was raised true. Roman Catholic, but I'm more of a pagan. That's I mean,
0: true. Because we spoke about that on a, one of our virtual conversations during quarantine and you you made a playlist and there were some songs in there that mm. reflected that, that yeah. passion that you have, um, that deep folk music and that that era of music that, that, you know, actually weaves its way into this new album to some degree as well. There's, there's a lot of scales and a lot of um, musicianship and instrumentation in mm. here, which I think somehow modernizes almost a sort of Baroque level of influence. I was in listening to a lot of
1: Bach. Yeah. I did some crazy thing where I, I found on spotify like like the complete bach which is like 800 hours of bach make it sound like and ever so, <laughs> no i'm just saying for like so for months i literally listened to bach like 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 bach you didn't know existed like you know like Deep dive Bach. Were there
0: right. moments when you were deep in Bach world where you were like, man, I'm really putting myself through it. Like oh it, yeah. It wasn't enjoyable anymore. It was more just a challenge.
1: Well, there's a lot of that stuff that was written quickly and it was more performative. Like he had to write a cantata for a church thing. So he was like, hey, you sing this song <laughs> with this weird piano part. And you're like, what song is this? Yeah. And then there's other stuff that are like sh- hits you sideways and you're like, oh my God. And then it's the opposite. You realize he wrote this music on the fly. And it's this insane piece of music that's such a high level of musicianship. So somehow that gets in my my bones. It's cool that
0: you get to be able to go and and, and allow yourself the space to be able to immerse yourself in the complete bark. Um, as we've discovered at Apple, and this isn't a promo. This is genuinely a fact. We found that um, navigating through classical music in particular was a complete and utter nightmare because what act differentiates another, and where do you even begin? So you should subscribe to Apple Music Classical, my friend. I've heard about it, and it's I've been really fa- good. In fact,
1: friends have re- highly recommended it. So I, I'm here to endorse. I haven't tried it yet, but I've, I've heard the endorsements. It's
0: incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what role does modern music play in your, in your life? Very little. Yeah. Why is that, do you think?
1: Um, well, I have a theory, which is um, it's easy to get grumpy if you if you listen to mu- modern music and you go, I don't get it. It's not speaking to me. Yeah. Um, but I kind of come around to this other side, which is kids and, you know, 20-somethings making music. They're making music that's reflective of the world they're looking at. Well, if the world is insane and vapid mm. and cruel mm. and hollow mm. and and not very nice, well, that's how they end up making music that sounds like that. Mm. Do they feel that or are they reflecting their environment? Uh, I-
0: I'm not You don't sure. have to answer that but Well no, I just I'm just I, I think it's both. I think there's a there's connective tissue between the two and I think sometimes the chicken and the egg it can reverse roles. Yeah, and right. I'm
1: not looking. I I am 56 years old with two little kids. Mm. You know, I'm more likely to hear SpongeBob's, you know, For now. Nighttime Cruise, you know, For than now. I am uh the latest jam from Polly and the Polytones. Well, no,
0: because I'm telling you because it's what's interesting is like we're going to dive into, I want to make sure I, because you, you- This all, is where
1: you play me a new song, yeah, put me on the spot. Yeah.
0: But it's okay. I'm going to put me on the spot because you're going to tell me honestly what you think. But I um, I want to make sure because then we're going to come back and we're going to deep dive into this body of work. And I want to ensure I'm pronouncing it correct. How do you pronounce? autumn? Autumn. Thank you. You were kind of more right, Jeremy, than me and Hanuman were. Atom. Yeah, you got it. So it's interesting, you know, people talk about an artist like yeet and they get lost in- um, Some of the lyrics, which are youthful and could be perceived as being ignorant, definitely some of them are. Um, But then, you know, they also forget that actually sonically and production-wise and feeling-wise, there's a lot of yearning to reflect the time going on. And you succinctly summed that up before, the idea of modern music reflecting the times. So what is this person really saying? So what I try to do is, is, along with the people on the team, is listen to my kids. Or 16 or 14 and rather than just like listen to the music they play ask them why it moves them. and I think to your point um, you know it really is a combination of both.
1: I hear someone struggling with the disassociative world. Um, I understand why people have ripped society apart whether it's gender, the idea of like what is a marriage and all this stuff. all those things need to be examined hard. I, I have no problem with people ripping stuff apart. So what I hear is an artist struggling how to put those ripped apart pieces back together. Because the human spirit at the end of the day wants to be standing on a black beach in New Zealand, looking <laughs> at the stars and saying, I'm whole, I'm complete, and I know what the hell I'm doing here. That seems very far away right now there, right? Okay, right. So for a lot of people, ain't no beach, ain't no stars, ain't no future. Mm. So, but they're still feeling all the human impulses. Who am I? Who's gonna love me if I'm myself or whatever? I'm not saying that's this artist's journey, but that's what I hear. Yeah. I hear a bunch of broken pieces. So what you hear is what on the surface sounds like an abusive technology. Right? Mm. Like the auto-tune ain't working right. Mm. The loops are actually out of time. Mm. <laughs> but I don't think that's on purpose as in a, hey, let's be clever and do this. That's a this is making me feel something that's yeah. fresh. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like right now, and I think that for a lot of people right now, that's their experience. Particularly of the world that we're in, It's just—I look out my window and I see—I I see the same McDonald's and I see the same Geico advertisement, but it don't feel the same anymore. But I don't know what that means. Like, where's that go? And everybody can paint a nice picture where it's going to go, but we all know it's probably not going to get there, and it ain't going to look like everybody's talking about.
0: I mean, I think what you're describing is a generational nihilism, and you know, going back to you know, generation, you talked about you know, Gen X being this lost generation. You fucking nailed if you that, look man. Look the sort of hopelessness that is indicative of the art being produced by Zoomers. I think it's the, this current generation that knows that they've been sold a false bill of goods. They
1: know that the future is not what they were told it was going to be. The the Gen X version was, hey, what you told us, marriage is, we know that ain't working. That ain't working. Uh, well, you told us yeah. this is the nine-to-five job. That ain't going to work. And yeah. by the way, you didn't even choose to parent us. Yeah. yeah. So we don't even know what to do. No, and when it came to term, you know, our turn to buy a house, you moved the zero over two spots. So going back to somebody like Kurt, Kurt, highly, Kurt Cobain, highly intelligent person. Why do his lyrics sound like onomatopoeia child rhymes? Because mm. in my estimation, he was searching for that disassociative feeling. The Ritalin generation of like the ADD. Like, why are you making me sit in this classroom all day? Yeah.
0: Come on over and do the twist.
1: Right? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Because we all grew up listening to Chubby Checker. Hey, man, just do the twist. Everything's going to be all right.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I love you so much. It makes me sick. I mean, this was... Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Those... Two things combined together say everything. To your point, to his talent. Yeah, you know.
1: So my version of disassociative, as through the years, is a little bit more complicated, <laughs> which makes bearded uh, journalists from Brooklyn, you know, uh, have to go to their therapist. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> because because my my version of putting the pieces back together, they don't like. <laughs> I do. Because it, it doesn't end. Do. It, my version doesn't end with the cool t shirt and the right, right, right mustache. Right, right, my right. version ends with something that's more akin to, to a traditional value, but not because I think the traditional values are best. There's something in the human condition that at the end of the day believes in union and believes in family that, and believes in community.
0: And that's what I always, always got from listening to your records and actually was was and remains one of the most emotional parts of, that, of, the, of the pumpkin's puzzle is that you are
1: dedicated to resolve and resolution and that you search for healing. So that's my big argument. Tear it apart, break it into a million pieces because it deserves to be broken, but tell me how you're gonna put it back together. Mm. Breaking stuff apart is the easiest thing in the world to do. Mm. That's that's easy. Show me what it looks like when you put it back together because then we can work on that together.
0: Mm.
1: The, the, The tearing apart, it's like, Here's a sledgehammer. Okay.
0: You know, it really strikes me at this point, having followed your journey as a fan of your music and talked to you intermittently over the course of the last nearly 30 years. Crazy. Crazy, right? We're still here. God bless. That um, there were moments in time when the trail for us went cold. You disappeared. I didn't talk to you for probably <laughs> seven or eight years where I wasn't sure we'd get you back at all. I wasn't sure I was coming back. Let alone like this where... Yeah. I feel that you are dedicated to the idea of repair. And that's what this album in a lot of ways is is searching for as well. This idea of answers, maybe not on this earth, but but no, no. some connection.
1: When, when I read that period where you and I didn't talk for a time and I was lost, actually a lot of those years I was lost in LA. Yeah. Um, the, the issue for me wasn't, you know, you get in these boardrooms and it'd be like, uh, bro, make Siamese Dream 2 and everything will be okay. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. That ain't gonna solve the bigger problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's it, The biggest mistake the entertainment business uh, makes over and over again is it only deals with the known. But artists, true artists, like the person you were playing, true artists are seeking something that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's super uncomfortable. Yeah, well, because the industry's
0: w- there's no um, financial security in the unknown. No, of course not. So it's like we got to try and put this into a into a framework we can understand. So,
1: future. so they're more likely to reward a sociopath. Who will stand where they want them to stand say what they want them to say and do what they want them to do
0: and so you, that those years were to some degree you just connecting from that experience and trying to find where you truly stood
1: well i built something that was successful and it endures if you want to you want to go 91 to whatever you can pick those albums yeah once you hit the fallow ground okay, it's not, you, you've got to go back to the bottom, but you're not that same person anymore. Yeah, I'm not yeah, the yeah. kid living in a right, rehearsal yeah. space in yeah. St. Petersburg, Florida in 85. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got a nice house. Yeah. So those days that you and I weren't talking, I'm staring out a window and going, do I even care? Because by the way, no one cares about me. <laughs> Nobody was calling me up. You know what I mean? It wasn't like the biggest names in the business were like, bro, where are you? Come back. We miss you. Mm. In fact, a lot of my generational brethren and sister didn't care if I came back because that was one more person off the chessboard that they didn't have to beat or compete with. Yeah. When Kurt died, I cried because I lost my greatest opponent. I want to beat the best. Mm. I don't want to win the championship because it's just me and a bunch of j- jabronis, to use a wrestling term. Mm. It's like, what is... It? Michael Jordan, the greatest, arguably the greatest sports competitor i'll ever see in my lifetime right Mm. i mean you want to talk about an alpha that guy wanted to win like the valet
0: tip you know what i mean it's my favorite part of the last dance and it happens two or three times every single episode where they'll put another example of did you overstep the line with your competitive streak here and he gives a, a variation of the exact same response which is like If you want to be the best, just this is what you got to do and just deal with it or don't, and I don't apologize for it. And it's a variation one after the other of that. And it's incredible. By the end of it, I watched it all the way. I watched 10 hours of it on a plane the other day, nonstop. Fifth time I've seen it, best time I've seen it. And by the end of it, I was like, I got to stop asking him that question. He's going to give the same answer every time.
1: So if you want to be the best and compete against the best and win and actually win something. And your, and your value system is based on God. Tell me the right way to do this, right? This, the music business, ain't going to give you any answers, right? So that's how you end up with artists doing disassociative music because they're caught between worlds. Mm. And just the way it is. So that's back to your original question. When I hear music like that, I hear that artist struggling with, I'm here, I've made it, I'm in the game. and that Zane Lowe is listening. Everything's hopping, baby. <laughs> but that
0: is why the kids are responding to it, to the way they are. God bless them. Because yeah. they are feeling the disassociation within that music and it speaks to them and they don't feel yeah. quite so alone. And that is where you fit in and Kurt fits in. Yeah. And Patti Smith fits in. And the greats fit in. And Echo and the bunny men fit in. Because you make this music that, when I was on that beach trying to fit in, I had ocean rain. I was like, this is going to be my ticket to
1: ride. You know? What do they say don't uh, don't hate the player, hate the game.
0: Did you ever meet Jordan, or did you ever?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. You got I, a good Jordan story. I got a few Michael stories. I'll tell you. I'll tell you something that comes to mind. Mm. So, um, uh, I was friendly with people in the team atmosphere. Uh, I was friends with the assistant trainer, mm. who I'm still friends with to this day. And uh, that particular season, which was Michael's second season before he retired, and obviously yeah. he came back with the Wizards, but. Um, it looked like it was the end there. Anyway, so I went to like I think 16 playoff games in a row, even including the road games. I was flying with the team. I was staying in the team hotels. So I was around it. I was going to dinner with players. I mean, I was deep in it. I was getting the analysis on, you know, this guy, we know this guy can't hit the jump shot. I mean, I was in it basically the, not that season, but the season before. Mm. So they win the championship in Chicago. I get invited in the locker room. It's just family, team, and me. <laughs> and you know, a couple of journalists. Yeah. It's, you know, it's crazy like you see on TV. Champagne, everybody, you know, just they're they're all, yeah, we yeah. did it. We did it. It's a big moment, right? You won a championship. Mm-hmm. So after about 30 minutes of that, I'm like, okay, it's a bit intense. It's not my party either. Yeah. But I'm happy to be there. I got a picture of me holding the trophy, the whole thing, <laughs> right? It's all good, man. Life is good. Young Billy Corgan's all good with being in the Bulls locker room. So at some point, like you do at a party, I was like, okay, I'm, I need a break. So I went to like the weight room just to catch a breath. I'm in there by myself. Okay. Here comes Mike smoking a cigar. And it's just me and Mike. Because he's doing the same thing. So he's in the, And he looks at me. And he knows me a little bit. yeah. And, uh, and I, I even hung out with him one night. So it's like, but it, it's his moment. I mean, it is his moment. And he gives me that look like, I'm cool with you being here with me, but let me have my space. Like, just that look like, we cool? I was like, we cool. So it's just me and Mike for like a minute. Nothing just ha- said. Just hanging out. And he's just, you know, he's, he's, you can see him processing whatever's just happened. He allowed me to share that moment with him. I'm like, this is pretty cool, <laughs> right? One minute goes by. I wished it was 500 minutes. Here comes everybody, because it's him. Yeah. Here comes the press. Mike, yeah. Mike, Mike. And you could just see him shaking his head because he only got that one this minute. This moment is gone. But he allowed me to share that moment That's with him. Crazy. That's what's cool about Mike. Mike operates on these other levels that most people will never see. And I've been around him enough a little bit to see that other level. And if you know that level, you understand the intellect that drove the whole rest of the kingdom and continues to drive it. That's why he's the best. I, I'm not stupid
0: enough to ever create a hierarchy of my favorite bands' favorite songs, especially when the, the founding member and songwriter of my favorite band, who wrote those favorite songs, is sitting in front of me in a fucking throwback zero hoodie. But I'm just gonna say, gotta sell the merch, bro. <laughs> I've always, I always wanted one. I'm glad you put it back on sale. It, it's
1: got a hoodie, so you
0: got yeah, the full, you got the, the full, full. The, the full modern day Billy uh, vibe. But um, you know that one is a special one for me. Um. Because that is one that I go to when I'm really down.
1: Oh. I don't You go-
0: get down? <laughs> Very much so. I don't I don't go to the ones that necessarily take me deeper. I go to the one that I want to try and drag me by the scruff and neck and out. You know? Yeah. And and I feel like that's such an achievement muzzle because you created a song that is so Overwhelmingly optimistic and like I'm gonna climb that mountain when I get to the top. I'm gonna raise my arms up and I'm gonna reach as high as I can for something I can't see. And you pulled it off. Yeah. You pulled it off. It's
1: really hard. Yeah, but then that guy got lost. You see what I mean? So I, yeah. I think about like what happened afterwards. But like, you but you gave it to us. Good. But I'm saying is is in the in in the aggregate journey, yeah, that's one moment where you're like, okay, I get it, I got it. And then uh, it's like that great Coelho uh, book, The Alchemist, right? Yeah. You got to you. The whole the whole story of the book is you got to go back and you got to dig under the tree that you were standing next to at the beginning. Huh. I figured out by the time I was twenty eight everything I ever needed to know in this crazy world of music and yeah. entertainment. Yeah, and I lost it and I regained it and I figured it back out. And now I figured it out a different way that has a lot to do with family, including the family of the band.
0: Yeah, which is a very important piece of this of this era. I mean. You have blessed us with incredible music in the last few years. We've talked about it. You continue to be productive. Um, you hold on to the, to the founding members of the band that, that remain and Jeff as well, which is beautiful. So it wasn't like, hey, and through the outdoor, it's like, nah, man, this is the crew. This is, the, this is our 5.0. I was trying to count them this morning when I was getting ready to come to work. I was like, I think they're at a
1: 5.0. Well, you know, Deep Purple <laughs> used to call it mock. <laughs> right, so we're right. Mark 5. You're Mark V. Yeah. Right? You're Mark V. And
0: and you're exploring territory, like I said, as a writer and and from a conceptual point of view, which you which people at this point in their lives just are not doing. Um, you, you are moving into that into that world that, of the bands that I think truly inspired you. You know the Rushes and the bands that kind of were unafraid to keep pushing boundaries and you refuse to settle.
1: Refuse. It's just not in me. I think I think if I ever was to wake up and look in the mirror and think i'd I'd given up and we as we used to say phone it in yeah I think that would be the end of me like psychologically yeah yeah I just it's just not the way I'm wired so when you're immersed in
0: a three act album <laughs> and you and you're trying to create a, a through line which there is by the way yeah remarkably given how much music is on this record um how do Don't, how do you stop yourself from getting lost? How do you find your way out?
1: You don't, I think, uh, and I'm not trying to be disingenuous with my answer. Think of life as a journey. Um, Jimmy Chamberlain, the great drummer of the Pumpkins, when I was struggling as a young parent, not young me, my kids being young, Mm. um, I wrote him in a moment of desperation. And he said, the thing about parenting is there's going to be good days and bad days, and you just want to have more good days than bad days. Beautiful advice, right?
0: Yeah, my friend gave it to me a slightly different way. He said to me, there are two types of dads in the world. There's good dads and dick dads. Just try not to be a dick dad as much go. as possible.
1: So when you ask about making an album over two years of 33 songs, there's a lot of bad days. Yeah. You're like, no one's going to care. Uh, Even if this is great, you're going to get the bad review from the guy in Brooklyn. You know, (laughs) they're still going to have a go at you for something you said 17 years ago when you were joking, by the way, because we live in this stupid world. Mm. You got to like, you got to believe in something deeper. Mm. And I, I love that you mentioned Rush, for example. The message Jimmy and I got from bands like Rush and Yes or whatever. Was that there's an aspirational aspect to music that has no commercial value? <laughs> yeah like why um, somebody like uh, Kubrick, who was capable of making, you know very successful Halloween movies, why did he import like palm trees from Vietnam to .LA so it looked right when no one would have even have known the difference? Yeah. Like what is that? Yeah It's a certain kind of uh, affirmational faith that if I do things a certain way, it all kind of work out. Do you know
0: who I think has that from, from roughly your generation is Tom. I think Tom York gets
1: it. I think he- he. he can I jump he, in? Yeah. And and I want to praise him here. When Radiohead made the shift from like, hey, they sounded like every other UK alternative band with their song, you know, and and stuff, we, yeah. we had very little respect for what they were doing because we just saw them as- a Another band doing enemy the enemy band. I'm a sad, yeah enemy band, and even he had the kind of like the the Pompidou hair there and the whole thing. When he when he when he made his pivot wisely so with his band to what they became, which is the great band. I found myself thinking, he figured something out before you, <laughs> which is, it's better to be this than the other thing. Hmm. And at that moment, when they started doing it, which was like 97. 97,
0: okay, computer, and then they went swift into kid A, and it was like, where are you now?
1: Yeah, and what was interesting about that, and I'm now speaking about myself, was I found myself flat-footed because I didn't see that coming. Mm. Because I was so disconnected from what was happening because I'm on all these mega tours. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're in the top of the, by the way, you're you're riding the biggest wave of war at that point.
1: Oh, yeah. So um, credit, because really, Radiohead figured out the world that was coming pretty much before every band on the planet and and they reaped the reward of that and did a lot of great work in 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 essence anticipating this disassociative world. I was at a, a music conference once, and I didn't mean it pejoratively. i ca- I called Radiohead laptop rock, and the crowd gasped because it was that moment where you weren't allowed to criticize Radiohead right. And I wasn't criticizing. No. It. I was saying as, as people made the shift towards listening to music off their laptops and listen, watching their email and inst- what you know, whatever social media, yeah. music takes on a different role, more yeah. eno esque, yeah. which is you know, you know, music for airports and music yeah. for the world that we're living in. Yeah. I was making for music for a world that was basically dead and dying, but I was the last to get the memo. So I really credit them with figuring that out. Um, and I'm not saying I wanted to make laptop rock, but there's something pretty cool about figuring out that music was going to be more environmental and less uh standing on the beach with a cassette deck
0: well you (laughs) no but it's true it's true but you i think what what, where we find you today with this album and wherever the future takes you and this tour where you're getting to bring all your passions together and do something that no one's done before which is like hey you know all that standing around time in between bands let's fight yeah (laughs) you know and i love it because what it is is it's like Now we're getting a true, genuine, confident, self-confident, I should say, Mm. reflection of who you are and what truly drives you. And this album to me is the most internal um, experience in terms of where you wanna take us, not where you think we want you to go. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, the rest of my life is about that. Mm. I think there comes a moment in every artist's life where you have to stop serving and it's more about your own individual journey and if you and if you have faith in yourself which you should i should have after all these years mm-hmm. then then you should trust that there's enough there for somebody to pay attention to <laughs> there's something about the act of servitude which is fine mm. when you're young and you want to win great you do the thing you got to do and you say the thing that's fine but there comes a point where it gets a little bit skeezy you know you don't want to be the old goth guy at, at the club for too long <laughs> is that did that sum it up yeah beautifully I, um, we've all seen that audience, you know what
0: pfft, I mean? Dude, I had to make that call. I was, I was, I'm not going to be the guy DJing in this club and, you know, like, man, you know, 10 years ago, I had to make that call. It was like, uh, there's something else out there I need to go explore risk or otherwise because being here in 10 years time is not that, not, it's not it. So on a much smaller scale, I get it. Um, I'm so, I'm always so happy and excited to see you. <laughs> which is crazy because i even read a recent article that came out either the beginning of this year or end of last year and it started with the same old like you may know billy is the guy in the 90s that said this 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 and it was just like oh god man i mean he just must be smirking through this whole thing but but then they were very 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 sort of respectful but, and, but and let abusive, me stop you there for a second you know,
1: why do they need to keep qualifying them? right exactly i recently was doing an interview with rolling stone and the guy thought i was complaining and i had to explain to him like look your world is hanging on to a part of me that's long gone. Yeah. I run a tea house. Yeah. I run a wrestling company. I got two little kids. Yeah. I got a lot of other stuff going on. The yeah. misanthrope has left the building. Yeah, he's gone. You got plenty of albums there if you want to listen. There's plenty of YouTube
0: videos of me complaining. Do you know who said this beautifully? And I, I think this is a really nice way to put it. When I when I spent when I spoke to Neil Young r- most recently was Neil and Rick and up at Shangri-La. It was really awesome. And um there was a bit of an encouragement to discuss Harvest because we're getting into a, ah. an anniversary. And I, and I always follow Neil's lead, which I learned very quickly. The first time I spoke to him is always follow Neil's lead. Right? Don't listen to anybody else. Just be in the present moment with Neil. He'll tell you exactly where he wants to go. And so he allowed a, a quick, quick, brief discourse about Harvest. And then he did that beautiful thing where he went, you know, man, that guy's still around, you know? He's still around. He's back there. Listen to that album. Rocking back and forth, proud of what he made. Loving it, feeling, feeling that way about that record. There's been thousands of guys since then. This is the latest one sitting here right in front of you. We should talk about him. But all those other thousands of guys, they're still around. They're having a great time. And it was just, I, all of a sudden, I just saw life in pages as opposed to this one con- like constant desire to write a new page. It's like, it's okay. It is the book. It is the book that, 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 that Joe talked about. You know, it's the book.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 struggling with a good way to respond because I know exactly what you mean. I think it's like um are you who you think you are? Are you who you wanna be? Are you who mommy wanted you to be? Or are you all of the above? Right? The thing about being in public life is it changes you. It does something to your DNA. Put it this way: if you stood on stage in front of 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 people, it changes your dopamine. A friend of mine told me the other day that he'd done so much ecstasy that he had no more serotonin left, okay? My response to life's critical stress is a little bit different because I face down 50,000 people giving me a middle finger Mm. and I encourage them to do so. Mm. It fries something out in your brain, but in its wake, it leaves another thing. So the Neil Young that made Harvest isn't the Neil Young making the album today. But yeah, that guy's in there, but it's not the same. So um, it's not asking the public to understand. It's just it's just the way it is. It's, it's
0: what he was saying. He was saying, this is just how it is. I don't feel any kind of way about it. All I know is that the guy sitting here in front of you now, giving you a gentle ribbing about being in tech, <laughs> is me. And uh, you should enjoy that, me, because I'm here and I'm present, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I tell fans sometimes, fans I talk to, I, I have a private account on Instagram, so I talk to fans regularly, but they're trusted and verified, let's put it that way. There's about a 50 or 70 of them I talk it's to. It's William great,
0: the Conqueror and it's his, his wrestling alternative. No, no, no. <laughs> no,
1: but, um, you know, I, I joke with them because, you know, in exchange for their access to ask me, you know, the Siamese zombie questions, you know yeah, um, you know I'll tell them you're gonna miss me when I'm gone mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is is when I when I leave the chessboard um, you know I I know what I'm leaving behind I realize that they can't quite understand what that means does that translate to you as somebody yes. who's known me for 30 years yes
0: I think it also for me puts in perspective how you relate to those versions of yourself and and give yourself a purpose of being happy now it's like it's cool like you'll you'll miss that guy
1: we've all seen the movie where a a common person is put into an extraordinary circumstance and they must respond okay i was ill prepared for fame i wanted it i encouraged it i bled for it Mm. but when it came i was like oh my god this is weird Mm. and it's never stopped being weird I'm not saying I'm a normal person. I'm not saying I'm an extraordinary person. I'm just a person who was put in a situation. that changed me. And so I don't need to apologize for it, but I'm just a nerd. You know what I mean? I am. We're going to miss you when you're gone. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. So don't. I'll go, still call you though.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, man. Congratulations on this remarkable body of work. I cannot wait till we talk again. I really can't. Thank you, bro. The latest in what will hopefully be a continued series of conversations with one of my all-time heroes, Billy Corgan, joining us on the interview series. Thanks for listening to that. If you made it this far, we appreciate it. Make sure you tell everybody if they love music and conversations. Where it's at, we'll be back again next week.